0: And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris I want to make another point You know, in traveling around the world I often, in fact almost every time when I go to a new country I'll, I'll meet with women To talk with them about how they're doing This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stew does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Use the
1: promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications do all the things. James Polis is back with us as he takes on our rapidly evolving digital world. Fox News settles its case with Dominion Voting Systems. I'll give you the latest on that. But we start by doing Tax Day 2023. And what better way to start a conversation about Tax Day than talking about dudes hooking up with dudes. Yes, it's one of our common focuses here on the program. We know you love it. And uh, let's get right into it. Remember, remember back in the day when gay marriage was controversial? Do you remember that? Remember back on that day? Remember when it was a big topic of conversation almost all the time? Remember when Joe Biden completely blew Barack Obama's cover on it uh, back in the 2012 election cycle? Biden's backing of gay marriage pressures Obama. Oh, did it really? Vice President Joe Biden's endorsement on Sunday of the right of, to gay couples to marry revved up the activist community and created a bit of a headache for Obama's re-election campaign, which wanted to spend Monday talking about the economy and other issues. He never wanted to talk about the economy. Ugh. Biden uh, declared on NBC's Meet the Press that he was absolutely comfortable allowing same-gender couples to wed. Obama, who enjoyed broad support from the gay and lesbian community in the 2008 election, opposes same-sex marriage, but has said gay couples should have the same rights as married straight couples. He has characterized his stance as evolving remember this this is not that long ago guys like this is we have Joe Biden now we had Trump before that the guy right before that a Democrat ran for president opposing gay marriage that's not that long ago look how much look how far the country has come in such a short time a Democratic presidential candidate opposed gay marriage his opponent in the race opposed gay gay marriage, Hillary Clinton. It's fascinating. And yet here we are now, same-sex marriage support inches up to a new high of 71%. It's incredible how fast this stuff can happen. 71% of Americans say they support legal same-sex marriage, which exceeds the previous high of 70% recorded in 2021. And if you're a mathematician, you'll see this one coming by one percentage point. Pretty difficult to figure out, but they did the math for you. Now, it might seem like it's always been so popular. And you know, it's kinda come on very strong, 71%. Back when we had 2012, a Democratic president, a presidential candidate who was still saying he was opposed to gay marriage. But it's even more dramatic than that. When Gallup first polled about same-sex marriage in 1996, stop for a second, in 1996, they hadn't even asked any questions about gay marriage. It was so far outside of the conversation that Gallup didn't even poll the possibility of it occurring in 1996. Isn't that fascinating? In 1996, when they first polled the question, uh, barely a quarter of the public, only 27 percent, supported legalizing such unions. It would take another 15 years until 2011 for support to reach the majority level. Coincidentally, right around when Barack Obama said he started supporting it, then in 2015, a month before the U.S. Supreme Court's Obergefell uh, Hodges decision, public support for legalizing gay marriage, cracked the 60 percent level and last year it reached 70 percent for the first time. This has been a long road. Let me show you the progress, uh, progression here of the polling support for gay marriage. Back in 1996, 27%. You see it rise through the 2010s and all the way up to 71% today. It's a big increase, and it happened relatively quickly. But even if you go back a little farther in this whole situation, there was a poll in 1988 that did ask this question, not done by Gallup, by the General Social Survey, and found that just 11% of adults agreed that homosexual couples have the right to marry one another when it first asked the question. They don't even use that word anymore. The word is gone. It went from 11% to 71% in your lifetime. Isn't that incredible? It really is. And it had me thinking a little bit. What is our goal here? What are we doing here? What are we What are we trying to do as people who like small government, who who are like conservative values? What's what's our long-term goal? This piece is uh, in Newsweek, Why Republicans Retreat and Democrats Advance. And the concept, basically, let me give you a quick uh, outtake, because conservatives aim to conserve and the left aims to change, progressives are always gaining ground somewhere. So even Republican victories Often just mean going back to a recent left-wing past, or going forward to a slightly less left-wing future. It's interesting. Is that the goal here? And we see this with some of uh, some of the abortion stuff. Oh well, let's limit it at a 24 weeks, uh, 20, a 22-week ban. I mean, look, better than no ban at all, I suppose. But you're not really capturing a lot of, uh, you're not really stopping a lot of abortions. There a lot of children. Uh, are going to no longer be around when they should be. Is that the goal? Is the goal to limit it to 24 weeks? How does this work exactly? And I feel like this happens all the time with Republicans and conservatives. Think about the last big legislative victory for Republicans. Remember, Donald Trump was in office. Republicans had the Senate. Republicans had the House. What did they get out of that? You might remember the tax cut package. Now, I like lower taxes, We're back to tax day now. No more dudes talking, hooking up with dudes. We're now to taxes. Just just follow the bouncing ball here. This is easy. What was that policy like? The Trump tax cuts. This is the big win of the Trump administration legislatively. Go back and look at it. Income tax rates. The new law retained the old structure of seven individual income tax brackets. But in most cases, it lowered the rates. The top rate fell from 39.6 percent to 37 percent. Whoa! The bracket, the 33 percent bracket, dropped all the way to 32. The 28 dropped to 24 percent. The 25 percent bracket dropped to 22 percent. The 15 percent bracket dropped to 12 percent. And the lowest bracket remained at 10 percent. And the 35 percent bracket was also uh, unchanged. A lot of changes there. A lot of miniature drops. But we can kind of summarize it by basically the tax rate at the upper end went from 39.6% to 37%. That was the big win. Does that feel like it's as big as gay marriage? Does it feel like it's as big as some of the other things the left goes for all the time? 396 to 37%? That was, that was what that was about? And if you look back, it's not just Donald Trump. It's not just the most recent Republican uh, uh, governor, uh, the leadership in, in Washington. You go back before that, go to the last big tax victory. What did you have? George W. Bush. He had a tax uh, update as well, introduced a new tax bracket of 10%, another bracket, a 15% tax bracket indexed to the new 10% bracket. Wow. It, this is almost too sexy for you, isn't it? Existing tax brackets, tax brackets of 28, 31, 36, and 39.6 were reduced to 25, 28, 33, and 35, respectively. Well, They went a little bit crazy on that one, from 39.6 to 35% that time. Wow. You want to talk about goal setting, 396 to 35%. Do we aim too high is the question you might ask after that, but no. And this is something you have to remember. Remember, the progressives had an income tax future they were looking for at one time. They tried to pass an amendment to make it legal to have an income tax, and they were able to do that back in the day, a long, long time ago. And you remember how they introduced the income tax to people? They said they didn't just say, hey, we're just going to uh, you know, give you our actual vision of what this is going to look like. No, they basically misled you and said it would be a very, very limited amount of people who would be touched by the income tax. And even if they were, it would be a very, very tiny fraction of their income. No big deal, boys and girls. Let's look back. The first income tax. This is back in 1913. What did it look like? Where do we start here? 1%. It was a 1% tax up to $20,000. Now, I want to make sure you understand what $20,000 is in today's money. Well, today, it's $600,000. So the first income tax taxed you 1% up to your first $600,000 in earnings, at least in 2022 dollars. But there was another bracket, 2% tax bracket, rising from uh, $600,000 in income Up to $1.5 million in income, you'd pay 2%. From $1.5 million in income up to $2.2 million, you'd go with 3% tax rates. Again, these are low rates. I don't know if you noticed, they're lower than all of our brackets now. Then from $2.2 million adjusted to $3 million, yes, you'd pay 4% of your income. From $3 million up to $7.4 million in income, you'd pay 5%. Whoa! Then, from $7.4 million to 14800000 million, you'd pay 6% of your money. And that huge top bracket of 7% hit you when you made, back in 1913, $500,000, or today's money, $14.8 million. In other words... Nobody paid these taxes. Nobody got to the... No one was... I mean, you know, the very, very small percentage of people are making $14.8 million, even though you'd think from Bernie Sanders and AOC that everybody's a millionaire. A millionaire or a billionaire. Nobody was paying these rates. And these rates were 7%, less than someone making like $30,000 a year pays now. It's incredible. That's how they launched it in, of course. Almost immediately when you gave them that little window, they jacked up the rates. World War I hit, you went from about 7% all the way up to almost 80%. This is how the marginal tax rate has evolved. Check out this chart. Goes all the way up to 80%, then came back down after the war. World War II kicks in, goes all the way up to 94% of your income. Came down a little bit uh, with JFK tax cuts. And when Reagan took over in 1981, it was 69.13%. He had a couple major cuts and got it way, way, way down. It rose back up. It bounced around. And if you see, right around the year 2000, a little bit after that, and right before the 2020 uh, line there, those little tiny, little tiny, tiny decreases before they increase again, those little tiny things. Those are the two big Republican wins. There they are. You see them. I mean, you might, if you can't zoom in, you might not be able to see them, but they're little, little decreases. There you go, your big legislative victories. A lot of this comes back to the idea that on the right, there seems to be very little goal setting here, very little aspirational thinking, very little big thinking. We think small all the time. We sit back and we say, oh, wow! we can just get that. Imagine if we can get that 37% rate down to 34.9 next time. Wow, we'll really be sticking it to the libs. I mean, look, I will take any decrease in tax rates. I think that's a positive for the country, and I think it's great for our economy, and it's great for you and I. It's great for everybody. But is that really the way to, to think big, these little cuts? A lot of times we go to the situation where we say, well, what about a flat tax? Where are we can get a flat tax in a flat tax. Well, that's and that's a big goal. It will be hard to do. But is that a goal? Is that a goal or do we need something bigger? And I present to you today that we need something bigger, much, much bigger, something to shoot for, something that might seem impossible today, something that maybe it might seem like only 11 percent. Of the population might support today, but something that could rise over time, a goal that would actually make a big difference, something that would change the country for the better. I submit to you on this tax day, we should repeal the 16th Amendment. Get rid of it. I don't want the rates lowered by 0.74%. I want them gone. I want All of this nonsense that fills our lives every single year to be gone completely. Repeal the 16th amendment.com. It is there for you now. Repeal the 16th amendment.com. The left on the issue of gay marriage, had something. They fought for it. They they thought it was right. And they kept pushing, even when everyone said, there's no chance that's ever going to happen. You had 11% of the population that supports you. The Democratic presidential candidate won't even say he believes it. And they kept pushing and going and going and going. And now 71% of the population supports it. Whether you think that's right or wrong, there's something to learn from that approach. Occasionally, we stick to that approach. For example... You've seen it with the issue of abortion. It took 50 freaking years, but eventually Roe v. Wade was overturned. A bunch of states now have rational rules on abortion, and some have slightly more rational. We don't have everything that we want there, but there has been an improvement at least. I don't think flat tax or fair tax are, are the types of goals we should be setting here, especially when we pair it with the thing that should make you angry every time you hear it. Oh, well, we're going to change this, but we're actually going to get more revenue into the government. Is that our goal? Is our goal to give more power, more money to the government? Oh, well, we'll increase the economy and it'll it'll have more money going in. So is that what we fight for? Is that what they fight for? That's what it was always said. Oh, well, we're going to get more revenue into the government. So... I'm not impressed by that. Are you? Is that a goal? Is that something to really push for? Is that a principle to believe in? There's this giant impression that we have to fund the government at the levels that we're at. I mean, you get rid of the income tax. What do we go back? I remember the number a few years ago was like 10 years. I doubt it's even 10 years anymore of spending. We probably have to go back to 2019 spending levels if we drop the income tax at this point. It's not even that far. We should have a government that's under control that doesn't need this giant tax and this giant burden that is on you. Remember, the founders of this country considered the Ill- the income tax illegal. We had to pass an amendment to make it legal. We should repeal that amendment. We should go back to a time when it was illegal. The federal government could not do it. You know how much time I spent on my taxes this year? I don't even wanna, I, I can't even get can't even get started. And they're not even done. All I've done is file a freaking extension. It's spent, I've spent so much time. You have spent, as a country, six point five billion dollars. It has cost you 260 or excuse me, 26.5 billion hours. It has cost you 260 billion dollars. Look at these numbers. 6.5 billion dollars, 259, 260 billion, uh, 6.5 billion hours, 260 billion dollars. billion in out-of-pocket costs. This is insane. Now, it can't just be repealing the 16th Amendment. You have to pair that with what comes next, and that's obviously important. We don't have enough time to get into all that right now as I'm already pushing this break. But there are sense... When you repeal it, you got to make sure that we put something in that limits the scope of government and makes this system one that is tenable and not completely bonkers. So join the movement repeal the 16th amendment.com you can go get a t-shirt to support the cause it's up right now use the code 210 10 if you'd like to save 10 percent this is something we should do why are we sitting here saying we want to lower rates by a half a percent screw that i want them all dead repeat repeat i want these rates dead gone forever let's do this better let's Let's aspire for something that's bigger than a little teeny-weeny tax cut or a simplification of the records. Let's repeal the 16th Amendment. It's repealthe16thamendment.com. Code is Stu10. Repealthe16thamendment.com. Happy Tax Day, everybody. America. Growing up... Cereal was one of the best parts about being a kid. Remember those Sunday mor- Saturday morning cartoons? You get up, you're shoveling sugary cereal into your mouth. I mean, it wasn't the healthiest thing in the world. But, you know, as you get older, you still want to relive those moments. But you can't have all the sugar. You can't have all the bad things. Well, Magic Spoon is here to save your life. They have amazing flavors that you're going to love, but they have high protein and less sugar. You got to try the variety pack. This is the best way to get introduced to Magic Spoon. They've got the uh, cocoa, they got the fruity frosted, they got the peanut butter flavors. These are delicious cereals, and they have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four to five net grams of carbs, and only 140 calories per serving. It's high protein, keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free. I, I got to tell you, I got a box of the waffle and syrup flavor. Uh, it was delicious. I went through the whole box in like two days. I, I, now that's probably not how they recommend you eat it, but don't worry about that. Just go to magicspoon.com/stew, grab a variety pack, try it today. Be sure to try our promo code Stew at checkout, save five bucks off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So you know, nothing to risk here. You're going to like the stuff, or they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Check it out. It's at magicspoon.com/stew. Use the code Stew to save five bucks. magicspoon.com/stew. I'm happy to welcome back James Polis to the program. He's the editor of The American Mind. He's the founder of Return.life and author of Human Forever, The Digital Politics of Spiritual War. James, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, too. Good to be back. Yeah, uh, it's tax day. Woo! It's a big day for all of us. This is the day. Glennon used to say this, and I always liked it. It's the day you really feel charitable because you've worked so hard and then you get to write a giant check to the government for all the wonderful things they do. Charitable and
0: cherished. They really yes. care. <laughs> yeah. Intimate yeah. detail. They, they, care.
1: they don't send you a nice thank you note. There's no card that says, hey, thanks for all you've done this year. You just realize that like, you've probably worked your entire year to fund like 1 70th of a meaningless project.
0: Just knowing that they're there really just warms my heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't like this arrangement. I, every year I get here, you know, I've spent an incredible amount of time on taxes this year, way too much. And, and I don't feel like I get anything out of it. I mean, obviously there are some benefits. I mean, you have to have a military to protect you. And there's a few different things here and there that I don't mind necessarily spending money on. But, man, you know, when you look at how much of, the, of, of your income that they take, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about it.
0: Well, no, and watching the, the movement to simplify and streamline uh, the tax code, <clears throat> you know, there are some obvious advantages to that. Uh, but now they're trying to move all the way from, oh, just file a postcard to, uh, no, actually, we'll digitize the dollar, mm. we'll have a CBDC, and uh, we'll just tell you what you can buy and what you can't. So it takes all the guesswork out of uh, out of out of your own money. Uh, everything will be withheld before it's, uh, it's even charged. Um, so convenient. Now I'm told this is a conspiracy theory. This is, this is very real. No, they, I'm uh, told that they're going to be more than a conspiracy. Yeah, because first of all,
1: they're, they're saying they want to do it. Now they're, they're not necessarily telling us that, although some people do let it slip from time to time, that, that really what this is about is control. But can you kind of
0: make the case to the American people that this is something that should be much higher on their priority list? Well, sure. I mean, you know, you you may have heard uh, different rumors and different accounts. Um, The Federal Reserve uh, just launched their FedNow uh, sort of payment processing system. So just instantaneously settle uh, money that moves around through the Fed. Um, Other other countries around the world are are testing this out. And of course they are, because uh, really um, digital technology means that money and information are converging into a single thing. Uh, We've seen it to a degree with Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies. Um, governments, regimes do not want to lose out, um, they don't want to find people migrating over into the use of digital currencies uh, and especially at a time when the uh, reserve status uh, uh, the, of the dollar as the world's reserve currency is, is coming into question uh, due to the, uh, the ramifications of the, the war in Ukraine and how uh, we've kind of alienated all of Asia and even much of the Middle East now. Um, countries are, are finding different ways to settle their payments using their own currencies with China. Um, and so in order to get a grip on uh, the way that finance is being transformed technologically, uh, pretty much every country that's powerful enough to do so is at least sort of testing the waters, checking things out. Um, it, there's a very powerful inertia, and I think, uh, you know, the, the U.S. government is, certainly wants to lead on this. Uh, since uh, I think a lot of the folks in power right now think that if we lose even a little bit of our edge technologically, then their grip on power is going to go away. So what that means is it's an inflection point. And uh, if you're, you know, an American who's concerned about this stuff, uh, I think the best thing that you can do is, you know, contact your lawmakers, especially at the state level, uh, uh, legislators. Uh, governor's offices and let them know that you want and need uh, your digital rights to be protected by law, and that includes the right to, you know, mine Bitcoin, use Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies to uh, to just participate in, in using and making transactions, uh, putting things up for sale on the internet, buying things on the internet, uh, without the kind of totally invasive stuff that you get out of the IRS and, you know, other uh, sort of uh, tentacles of the beast that want to know down to, you know, the pennies, what you spend, where you spend, and how you spend it. You know, I think it was early in the, in the, the sort of rise of Bitcoin
1: and other cryptocurrencies where you saw, like... You saw the way they reacted to them, right, which was immediately about the loss of control. And we we had we had cash forever where you didn't have to put your name on a transaction. And the fact that they couldn't control it, that they didn't have the ability to block it at a bank level, they didn't have the ability to stop a, a transaction from going on, freaked them out. It was all about, oh, well, you're funding terrorists and this is illegal drugs and all the different accusations that came to the early days of Bitcoin. And now it seems like they're trying to utilize the base that technology generally to just bring that all in house, and then they can control everything. They can see everything. They can control everything. They can turn. They can make certain products unavailable to
0: be purchased. I mean, what is the, what's the real end game here? Can they go that far? Yeah, they can go as far as as they want to go. I mean, the the power of the technology is there when when Bitcoin uh, first came on the scene and even to this day you hear a lot about of, you know, oh, this is the perfect currency for criminals. And it's like, bro, this is a, the the blockchain is a an immutable ledger of record tracing the movement of the currency, you know, from 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 person to person transaction to transaction. Uh, which of course is exactly the kind of, uh, of of record keeping that they would love to have. You know, why not? If you are trying to extend your sovereignty over all the the digital technology that's networked together in your in your country in your purview, you're gonna you're gonna naturally want that degree of of intimate control. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, as Lord Acton once said, it's just obvious how the logic of this thing works. And so, Bitcoin's like a world computer. It's not just some, you know, it's just trendy, gimmicky thing that that hype beasts can use to try mm-hmm. to make a quick buck. The number goes up. The number goes down. But it's real. It's real value, and it's real power uh, is in the way that it can serve as a foundation for all kinds of commerce and all kinds of exchange. So, if we, the people, do not Put our energy into that technology and master it uh, once again. You know, getting comfortable with the fact that hey, we're Americans. We can roll up our sleeves. We can get our hands on our technology and actually use them for our benefit. If it's not us, then someone else is going to do it. Other people are going to beat us to it. Whether it's our own, you know, administrative state, uh, whether it's our own intelligence community, whether it's uh, you know foreign powers who may not be our friends, um, or some combination of all of the above. You know, it, it would be a real misfortune if uh, if Americans were the ones. Uh, without a seat at that table, yeah, it really is kind of a scary place. Um,
1: is there an argument? You mentioned Bitcoin, and I think I think a lot of people think of it like, okay, this is the secret way that terrorists move money around, and I think that's still out there at some level, though it's it's come down a little bit over the past few years. Um, but it is. One of the things that is notable about it is you point out it is an immutable ledger. The, the transactions are there. You might not know what names are attached to them, but the transactions are there and, and people are becoming experts at following these dollars around. Is this an argument for something that goes deeper into privacy, a Monero or one of these other currencies that can that at least say that they can hide the, these transactions? And is that going to be a, yet another target of, of these governments?
0: Well, I think, you know, all bets are off. Uh, a lot of these governments are being destabilized. A lot of alliances are shifting. I mean, it seems like no country in the West these days is, is without some deep civil divides, whether it's the French arguing about China or the Germans arguing about Russia or, you know, Israel is experiencing sort of internal divisions on a scale that we haven't seen in a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, and so a lot of, I think, what's going on is a power struggle that is a prelude to uh, you know, figuring out which faction in every government is going to be the one that prevails over the technology there. Uh, so uh, you know, we'll we'll see how the others shake out. Um, of course, you know the the critics say that pretty much all these cryptocurrencies are terrible for the environment. Oh, the carbon footprint right. is so big. It's like, have I introduced you to Call of Duty? You know, like <laughs> right. those servers, they're consuming so much energy. And I wouldn't be surprised, of course, if they tried to uh, heavily restrict uh, gaming for the same. Same reason, I mean, California has already said, no, you cannot buy those high-powered GPUs. Uh, You don't need that much computing power. It's the same exact kind of arguments that they've always used against guns. Nobody needs an AR-15, nobody needs a handgun, nobody needs a pea shooter, you know, they just work their way down. And so, you know, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, these two things have some implied rights to them. Freedom of association, uh, the, the ability to use fundamental technologies to, for the purposes of your defense and your, your shared defense. Uh, we need to look at, at digital technology this way, too. Uh, a Second Amendment for compute, one of those digital rights. You know, Bitcoin, some of this other stuff, GPUs, these are foundational technologies. And if Americans lose the ability to use them and to use them confidently and courageously uh, to protect what we hold sacred, uh, then it's not gonna be America anymore. And they're starting online and it's leaching out of the internet into uh, the rest of real life. Um, if America can't be America on the Internet, then it won't be America uh, here in, in flesh and blood much longer. It's, it's scary. And it is hitting people outside of that world. You know, I was talking to a
1: guy uh, the other day who owns an oil and gas uh, you know, equipment company. And he was saying that right now they're spending hundreds of thousands, five or six hundred thousand dollars retrofitting their fleet of trucks into electric trucks based on some ESG thing that they have to do. And he's like, you know, the end of the day, we're going to be out at these sites and we're going to have diesel generators sitting next to these electric trucks running to charge the trucks, so we can do the work. We know this isn't going to accomplish anything, even if every bit of their science is completely perfect and everyone knows everything. It's not even going to help. And, and yet we're forcing these people into these destructive economic acti- activities with no upside. I mean, it, it's just you come back to what has to
0: be about control. The upside is control. Uh, This, you know, what is the virtue of having uh, uh, electric vehicles standard? And well, it's just that much easier to network all those things into a single kind of swarm that the people who are poking the swarm from above can figure out how it moves around, learn from it, and and sculpt it in the way that they Mm. want to sculpt it. Uh, it's a lot easier to sculpt society when everyone's kind of plugged into the same thing. Uh, but again, you know, you look at something like AI. Elon Musk just bought, I think, a hundred thousand uh, high-powered GPUs uh, so that he can get his uh, his his X Corporation. Uh, up and running on, on AI. These folks want to use uh, AI as a mode of governance, as a, as a fundamental part of digital governance. And we're not hearing a peep about the environmental costs of that, of course. They don't want to have that conversation. So they're picking winners and losers. They are uh, hypocritically uh, flipping from one side of the argument to the other as it suits them it's going to be really difficult for them to do it in a way that has legitimacy uh, in addition to the kind of authority they're trying to wield by by wielding these, these tools and these weapons. Uh, they're worried about that. Um, they've, you know, they've they've stuck their neck out pretty far over the, the Trump years and, and into whatever weird era this is. Uh, and they know that people's confidence is eroding. They know that, uh, if, I mean, if on top of everything else, uh, the dollar tanks because uh, of, of hyperinflation and, and uh, the petrodollar is toast, um, then people are going to be really upset, and not just on tax day. Mm. Uh, one last one here for you. Elon Musk.
1: He's a a very interesting guy, right? He does a lot of really interesting things, a lot of incredible things. And in other times, like he says stuff like, oh, well, Bitcoin is terrible for the environment. The exact same thing you were just criticizing a minute ago is something he spouts all the time. Talks about global warming all the time as one of our main concerns. What do you think of him? I mean, I'm conflicted. Some of the stuff I
0: love and some of the stuff really bothers me. Well, I think he knows how to do the dance and he's an ambitious guy. Um, And uh, he's, he's thinking farther ahead than most. Uh, And he's so far been able to navigate things in a way where he hasn't been taken out. Um, that's, that's more than you can say for someone like Donald Trump, although he's still around. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I was told that uh, that as long as as soon as we sort of obliterated Donald Trump from uh, from the uh, the White House, that everything would would be great. And, um, you know, not only is everything still awful, uh, but not <laughs> even Trump is gone. So uh, can't get rid of him. So, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, to see to see Trump, to see Elon, to see some of these other guys who are. Uh, who are certainly canny survivors, and so uh, you know, I I, I do take. Uh, what he says with uh, maybe a little grain of salt, um, but it is uh, it is encouraging to see that uh, you still can run circles around the powers that be uh, under at least some circumstances. Maybe a lesson in there for all. of he us. He does have a lot of fun doing it too, which that's is right. that's kind of inspiring. You got to have at least a little. Yeah, he definitely does.
1: Forty-four billion dollars is a lot of money to screw around with these people, but I like that he's doing it. It's definitely worth it for me. I don't know if it's worth it for him, but
0: it's yeah, worth- well, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, X, the app for everything, uh, yeah. the, the X Corporation is now the parent company of Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, and I think. You know, you're, you're looking at a situation where, look, either the government is going to, is going to become uh, Elon Musk, uh, they're just going to kind of swallow him up, or the reverse. Right. And so, you know, in a sense, everything's converging into a single feed of information. Yeah. And uh, the fight over the digital dollar and all this kind of stuff is a fight over who gets to decide in what order things appear in this sort of master feed. And that's why I think it's so important that Americans as a whole recognize that that kind of ordering process is really just out of sync with the way American culture and commercial life develops from the bottom up, organically with people associating freely, making decisions amongst themselves, um, about you know wh- how to how to grow their their families, how to grow their communities, how to make us stronger, not more dependent. Uh, and if we want to participate at that highest level and sort of renegotiating how our social life and our political life is structured in a digital age, we need to have that seat at the table. And the best way to have that seat at the table, whatever you say about the hype and all the, the criticism. Bitcoin is matured to a level where, yes, you know, ordinary people can sort of like bone up very quickly and actually just participate in it in a way that we can't with AI, we can't with ChatGPT, we can't with uh, y- y- you know the we 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 can't become uh, members of the Federal Reserve. Right. Like there is a path for us to get on, and so it's not perfect. It's not going to save the world. Uh, nothing's going to save the world, um, but it is ready right now. And so you know, if if we're looking for ways to uh, pick up. Uh, weapons you know to keep and bear digital weapons for our own protection and defense this is the one that's sitting there we may as well pick it up and get to work
1: there we go i like it james polis uh, editor of the american mind founder of return.life and author of uh, human forever the digital politics of spiritual war thanks so much for coming back on the program james appreciate it thanks too You know, whether you're buying or selling a home, you got to have the best real estate agent. And if you don't, then you're going to have a a catastrophe financially on your hands. This is like our biggest financial uh, transaction probably you'll ever make in your entire life. Uh, It's a retirement for so many people. It's so much to so many. And a lot of times we're just like, hey, um, what if we pick the person who we see on an ad where like, a, you know, it's like underneath a homeless person on a bench? Like, That's not a good way of picking someone to represent you in a, a giant transaction like that. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com instead. There you will find the best agent in your area. And these people have been screened by the company to make sure that they have uh, the best results and they're the best agents around you. Whether you're buying or selling a home, if you're going to a new area, you don't know anybody yet, great place to go. realestateagentsitrust.com. Real realestateagentsitrust.com. Check it out now. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, the big settlement has happened in the Dominion Fox News lawsuit. Now, of course, this was about uh, the 2020 election and the claims that were aired on uh, on Fox News about Dominion and whether these machines were hacked. I mean, I don't remember necessarily any Fox News hosts saying they thought they were hacked, but they did put people on who said that, people like Sidney Powell and such. And I guess the, the accusation is that they were not skeptical enough on their claims, maybe to, uh, too supportive. There's, you remember the text messages coming out and people behind the scenes saying, like, they didn't think that they were real, but then they put these people on anyway. Whether you think that that's right or wrong, I mean, you know, one of their arguments here was, look, it was people were talking about this and we needed to talk about it as well. Um, We needed to cover it. Uh, One of the arguments Fox News brought up in the in the pretrial hearing was to say, hey, you know, the president of the United States was literally saying this stuff every day. We were going to ignore it. Like, what do you mean? Of course we were going to talk about it. And that, that argument, that strain of argument was just thrown out of court. They basically said they weren't even able to make that argument. And why this is interesting is not because, you know, you can like Fox News or not like Fox News. It's a much bigger story than that. Because if uh, Dominion were to have won this lawsuit, um, it would have put every media organization in real trouble, left or right. Uh, because the the idea that you can't talk about a controversial topic and that you have to you know, um, uh, air every doubt that you might have about a story every single time it comes on. I mean, that's just not how the news works, especially if you're a news program. You're really not even supposed to do that. An opinion show, maybe you come out and you say, look, we said this to Sidney Powell at the time. Look, where's the evidence for this stuff? You you know the date. It's December 14th. Are you going to have the evidence by then to prove this? Because if you don't have it by that date, I think it was December 14th. It doesn't matter. All the stuff is moot. It's not going to you're never going to get any of this stuff done. And she told us that she would have it. And then it never came. Um, So, I mean, I, you know, I didn't believe her really at all, frankly, on that stuff. She uh, went around to a bunch of different places and tried to make that case. And, you know, Dominion sued. I just think it would be very bad. If you're not allowed to come out and talk about these things, you know, a news, a news host is supposed to just ask questions and try to get to the bottom of it, but not necessarily say, well, I believe you're lying. I mean, that's not necessarily the role of every news host. Anyway, long story short, I think this would have been really, really bad had Dominion won. What instead happened was a giant payment uh, coming from Fox News to Dominion in a settlement, $787.5 million dollars. <laughs> Wow, they were asking for $1.6 billion, so they basically got half of what they were asking for. Uh, Fox News also faces a similar lawsuit from another um, one of these voting machine um, uh, makers. So uh, there's still a lot to come on this, but at the very least, they shouldn't set a precedent that means that every media company gets sued to the end of time. The most amazing part of this is watching the other media companies that would have been victims if Fox News did not pay the settlement, potentially. Uh, watching them cheer on Dominion to take Fox News out. They hate them that much. They'd rather have media and journalism potentially be destroyed than see good things happen to Fox News. But the settlement's over $787.5 million, and it's a happy, happy day for Dominion's lawyers. So you got the pants, you got the shirt, you got the shoes, you got everything you need to dress to impress. And it turns out, uh, you know, look, that's only part of the situation because you have to make sure those pants do not fall down. Yes, you need a stylish belt and Grip6 can help you with that. They're a small company in Utah. They sell in the United States and all over the world as well. But they source almost everything they make here in America. Their belts are really great. They're minimalist, they're kind of a cool style. You've probably never had a belt exactly like this. They can be customized, but they also have great wallets which are really, really cool. A totally different kind and style of wallet that you'll really love. The socks are warm and comfortable. Go to grip6.com/stew. Check out their whole lineup. Use the code stew while you're there, you will save 15%. It's grip the number stew get 15% off today. grip6.com/stew. Good news everybody. Disney has announced the first official LGBTQIA2+ event at Disneyland right after DeSantis threatens the company. That is the headline from Business Insider, LGBTQQIA2+, Community, Disneyland After Dark, Pride Night. Now, of course, this story's been going on forever. I feel like you go back to the 90s and have conversations about Pride Days at, uh, uh, at Disneyland. I, I guess because it was during the day, now it's night, and that makes it more notable. i it's odd. I mean, to me, the, the time that lgbtqia plus community members should be able to go to Disneyland is when they buy tickets. Okay, just why does it go to the park if you want to do the things that are at the park, right? Don't go to the park to celebrate your genitals. That's another thing to do. You do that other places, maybe not in the kids area. You know, maybe that's something that you do on your off time, not in the Mickey Mouse time. I know this sounds crazy to a lot of people, but it's like, does everything have to be about where you want to put your stuff? Can't can't there be something else involved in life? Go to Disneyland if you want to go see the mouse. You want to go spend you know, $1,400 for a bag of popcorn, go to Disneyland. That's what it's for. It doesn't need to be about your genitals. Not everything needs to be about your genitals. I'm begging and pleading think of something anything in your life and make it not uh, unrelated completely to your genitals and where your genitals go just do things that involve other things just please stop thinking about your genitals all the time this is a quest. I beg of you America society put your junk in your pants leave them there go on a roller coaster eat some food go home then you can think about your genitals all you want. Back in a second. America, we gotta think big. We can get there. Repeal the 16th Amendment. Repeal the 16th Amendment.com. Go there now. Get your shirt. I hope they I don't know if they have mugs up yet. We'll get all the stuff up there eventually. But repeal, repeal the 16thamendment.com. Use the code STU10, you'll save 10%. Let's just get rid of this freaking thing. Why are we always arguing about oh, let's 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 screw around around the edges. Screw it. Make it all go away. Repeal the 16th amendment.com